Boy, DeMond did have an incredibly good sermon this morning, didn't he? Um, those of you who did not make our Sunday school party, we had like door prizes and prizes uh, included Rockets tickets for Tuesday night's games and Thursday night's games. Those of you who may have won those uh, need to come up afterwards and we need to figure out how to, we've got the tickets and the parking passes here. Uh, some are not able to go to a, one game or want to go to the other game or whatever. And I didn't keep track of who all won. So if you won and you're here, uh, here are your tickets. Uh, come up afterwards. Point number one. Point number two. Um, <clears throat> uh, we've got class this week. We've got class next week. And then we're off for two weeks uh, because we don't have Sunday school at all at this church during the two weeks uh, around the Christmas New Year holiday. Um, my hope is to get through Isaiah next week so we can start uh, clean uh, uh, come January with uh, a new book. If I'm not able to do it, then we may hang over, so uh, humor me there. Okay, next point, uh, overview. We have Joel Chernoff here today. Joel, stand up for a second. That's Joel. Show you something else here. Um, That was him. <laughs> that was him when he had all like all that hair and had them uh, mutton chops coming down the cheeks. 1975, 2003. But the heart and the voice are still uh, the same, and um, we are delighted to have him here because he is here. When I talked to him on the phone, I said, um, "You know, here's what I need," and he said, "Wait a minute, let me get this straight." You're not like bringing me in for a concert. You're just bringing me in to play two or three songs? I said, oh, yeah, pretty much. And he said, and I don't like have to say anything in between or anything like that. I said, no, no, you just kind of get up there and sing the songs. He says, yeah, I'll do that. So, um, but he uh, uh, is away from his lovely wife and his family today to be here, and we're grateful for that. And uh, uh, it, we're still trying to set up times for him to come in, in January and February and March, perhaps, uh, if we can work the scheduling out, because he's got some wonderful songs that come from uh, some wonderful scriptures. I want to introduce him now, because as I go through the lesson, when we reach the point where we need the song, I'm not going to take the time out away from the context uh, to introduce him then. So I've got a few notes here, because I don't keep up with this stuff. Um, in addition to being, uh, uh, if, if you followed contemporary Christian music at all um, in its genesis and heyday, uh, which uh, uh, I was fortunate enough to get plugged in fairly early, but um, in the 1970s, Joel Chernoff and uh, another fella had a group called Lamb, and Joel did the writing and the singing and the playing uh, uh, at least one of the guitars and the piano, and, and Lamb put out albums that sold hundreds of thousands of copies. Um, Lamb 1, 2, and 3 played all of the big forums and events, but was so unique because he was messianic Jewish music. What God brought on his heart as a Jew who believes in Jesus Christ as Messiah was to um, uh, uh, speak out to people and, and, and from a perspective of, of Judaism and, and Jesus as Messiah. It's, it's an area that he still does today. Um, he still puts out music. He's got CDs. We've got them for sale back there. Um, uh, I say we, he does. Um, uh, uh, it's it's um, back there, and we'll, we'll man that afterwards. The prices are on the table. He takes uh, credit cards as well. Uh, but you'll get a flavor for his music this morning. I've asked him to sing some songs that he did back in the 70s, and he told me he's had to drop the key a step or two because the voice uh, uh, enjoys singing lower than higher. Um, <laughs> He is still very active. He's president of the International Messianic Jewish Alliance. That's the spokesperson, in essence, for Messianic Jews worldwide. Spends a lot of time in Israel, a lot of time here, going to synagogues throughout the U.S., and uh, is also the executive director of the Messianic Jewish Alliance of America, the MJAA. He's married to Mindy. I think we need to try and get her down here sometime. He's got three kids, including a daughter who's uh, about to sign a music contract in Nashville, who goes to Trevecca uh, uh, Nazarene College there. Uh, his brother is the, the rabbi at a Messianic congregation in Philadelphia where Joel lives, and it's a pleasure to have him here. So I introduce him now, though he doesn't sing for about 10 more minutes. <laughs> Thank you.
Because we've got him this week and not next week, we're doing Isaiah backwards. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time with the introductory material. I'm going to give you a flavor of it. We're on a Reader's Digest version this morning. We're going to skip through a lot of this material, focus in on two specific passages of Scripture that Joel will sing for us. Mark has got copies of this lesson today. If you don't have one, raise your hand, flag. He will walk one down here and hand it to you while we're going through it. If we look at Isaiah backwards, let's do a little bit of material because we do want to keep it in context. We don't want to look at anything out of context in this class. If anything, this class is a plea for biblical study in context. Um, So who was Isaiah? Well, if we read the first passage or the first verse of Isaiah, we read that he was Isaiah ben Amos. Ben is the Hebrew word for son. Uh, So his dad's name must have been Amos. Um, uh, he spent at least 60 years as a prophet. We know that because he's prophesying. Uh, uh, Isaiah chapter 6 tells us in the year King Uzziah died, he, uh, that Isaiah saw a vision of the Lord. And we read through Isaiah and we see him talking about events that happened 60 years later. And so this man had a long stretch as a prophet. Uh, a lot of the time of prophecy centered around the Assyrian crisis. Now, this is worthy of us taking a moment to talk about. Uh, I assume most of you were in this class, but a good bit of you may not have been when we covered the material in Kings and Chronicles. Let's refresh our memories on this for a moment. You will recall the first king that Israel had was Saul. Great, three of you were listening. Um, After King Saul came King David. David had a bunch of sons, but one son who became king, Solomon. And after Solomon, the kingdom did what? Split. And you got the northern kingdom, which went by the name of Israel, and you've got the southern kingdom, which went by the name of Judah. Judah being the principal tribe that, that composed the southern kingdom. Rehoboam was the king of Judah. Rehoboam being a son of Solomon. Jeroboam, was the the king of of northern Israel. Northern Israel went pagan real fast. Um, Those kings didn't follow the Lord very well, uh, uh, and neither did the people. Uh, It got to a point where Ahab and Jezebel decided they were basically going to wipe out what they considered the Yahweh or Yahweh cult and uh, uh, destroy people who followed the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, as well as the priests uh, that uh, uh, worked within uh, God's kingdom. Um, at, in about 722, 721, there was a country rising to power called Assyria. And Assyria was the country that was kind of on the northeast, I guess. Well, I'm doing it for me. For you, it would be the northeast of, of Israel. And the Assyrian kings uh, uh, started trying to come down and threaten Israel and even Judah itself. Uh, the king of Judah basically sold out the northern part of Israel and, and said, hey, I'll help uh, you, Assyria, if you will come down and conquer uh, Israel and Aram. Uh, the Israelite king and the uh, king of the uh, country Aram tried to get Judah to join hands and, and defeat the Assyrians. The king of Judah would not. And uh, Israel fell around 722 or so uh, B.C., uh, when Israel fell, it left Judah as kind of the, the, the kingdom of God's children that were left in the promised land. And uh, uh, Judah uh, was then faced with their own crisis. Uh, Judah gets a king called Hezekiah who has a heart for the Lord. And Hezekiah stops paying his tribute to the Assyrian king. He quit paying the, the money that uh, uh, kept Assyria off of his back. And the Assyrian king at the time was a king named Sennacherib. And Sennacherib says, okay, if you're going to be that way, I'll just come down and wipe you and your people out. So Sennacherib brings his army from Assyria. They come down and they start wiping out all of the small little villages in Judah. Uh, They go take Lachish and from there go to Jerusalem where they encamp around uh, the city and lay siege to Jerusalem. They're sending envoys to the wall to speak in Hebrew so the people understand how desperate their plight is and that uh, they would wish they had never been born as a child if they don't uh, uh, respond accordingly and capitulate. Hezekiah the king is in a panic. Who does he turn to? He turns to Yahweh and, and, and it is Jehovah God who comes in uh, uh, through prophetic words with Isaiah. 
that says, don't worry, you will get deliverance. Now, two years of siege is not a happy thing. People are hungry, people are starving, people are scared to death, the enemy is at the gate, uh, the slightest thing, you know, every day you're living in absolute fear of, of catastrophe uh, that, that uh, uh, is unlike anything we are aware of. Uh, it's not that much unlike what uh, uh, people in other parts of the world fear today, but, but you're living on the very edge with, with uh, uh, fear at the gates. This is the situation where Isaiah comes and starts his prophesying. And so as we look at the book of Isaiah, think in terms of what uh, we would call an Assyrian crisis for the country. Who wrote Isaiah? We're skipping that. We'll talk about it next week. Um, next week, we've got a lot of other questions we're going to talk about. What's prophecy? Why Old Testament prophets were unique? Uh, how the Hebrew division of the Old Testament books uh, goes because this falls in the prophet division of, of the Hebrew Old Testament. But that's also where you find Joshua and Judges and and some other books that we wouldn't think of as prophet books. And so it's a good time to stop and talk about that. Today, what I'd like to do now is zoom in on two passages and give you a flavor, if you will, of these passages. Let's talk about them. Let's look at the text. The first passage is from Isaiah chapter 40, verses 3 through 5 especially. Uh, the second text we're going to look at is out of Isaiah chapter 54. So if you've got your Bibles, which I hope you do, get them out. Get a pen or something to write with if you've got one. At least have your, your class notes ready to go. And I've tried to reproduce uh, Isaiah 40, uh, the pertinent scriptures in the class notes, in case you've forgotten your Bible today. Um, in Isaiah, the book itself, the way the book was put together, chapter 40 is kind of a pivot chapter. Uh, a corner is turned. The preceding several chapters... Uh, to some degree, or almost word for word out of First and Second uh, uh, Kings in the sense that it, it tells the Hezekiah Assyrian crisis in a narrative fashion. Not only does Hezekiah have the Assyrian crisis, but after that Hezekiah himself gets sick, and he's sick unto death, but through a prophetic word with Isaiah, uh, God gives Hezekiah healing and says, I'm going to let you live a certain number of more years, uh, uh, you get a reprieve. And so Hezekiah's got that, and uh, 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 with that, Hezekiah invites some Babylonian envoys in and shows them the treasures of Israel, which upsets Isaiah and causes Isaiah to come in and say, why on earth did you do that? Know for certain at, one point, at some point in the future, after you're dead, Babylon's going to come take over Israel and they'll be carting off your treasures. And Hezekiah's response is, oh, gee, I wish that hadn't happened, but at least it's not going to happen until after I'm dead. So there's some side benefit there. And uh, that's the way it's recorded that Hezekiah thought about it. With that story being told briefly in Isaiah again, as it is in the King's uh, book, um, Isaiah then turns a corner and he starts talking about things that include prophecies of what will happen to Israel in the Babylonian captivity and after. And the book of Isaiah has got prophecies that, that are multi-layered. Um, if, if I were to try and explain biblical prophecy in a nutshell to you, I would urge you to consider prophecy something like an underground stream. An underground stream runs under the ground and you don't always see it even though it's always there. And occasionally it may bubble up into a spring here or it may keep running after that and bubble up into a second spring or it may keep running until finally it, it gushes forth into a, a lake or whatever it may, may gush forth into the ocean. Um, that's the way prophecy is oftentimes with the Lord. He'll deliver a prophecy that in a sense will have its prophetic interpretation as it bubbles up, but yet that prophecy keeps going and then you'll see another prophetic interpretation as it bubbles up and it'll keep going until finally it, it finds its fruition and fullness. So many of the prophecies even about Jesus are prophecies that find a fulfillment of sorts or, or a little bubbling up in other events and in other people. Um, uh, much of the prophecies of Israel find not only fruition in the nation of Israel, but they find fruition in the church or in the, the children of God by faith as opposed to uh, through the physical seed of Abraham, through Abraham in faith. And so you'll find fulfillment there. You'll also find fulfillment in the nation of Israel. And many of these prophecies, you'll find fulfillment individually in your own life. It's incredible how God's written it. And we tend to approach things like this like we're looking for Cleo on TV. 
Isn't Cleo the woman who, who speaks with the Jamaican accent, Mon, and says, I can tell you your future? Um, we, want, we want prophecy to be something where there's a very clean, clear interpretation. Boom, it happens, and boom, it's over, and then we go on down the road. That's a rationalistic 21st century mindset, if you'll let me put big words on it. That is not the Oriental thinking uh, or the Eastern thinking, Middle Eastern thinking that, that you find in, in biblical times especially. Um, uh, the, the prophecies are not just something that are going to happen one time. That doesn't mean that they don't have a very clear one-time occurrence, but they've got a constant bubbling, a percolating, if you will, that not only reminds you of the prophecy over and over, but, but offers you nourishment along the way. So these are profitable passages, and you can read these passages and say, oh my goodness, this is talking about my life. Well, God didn't just write that scripture for your life and no one else's. God wrote that scripture where you'll find meaning in your life, as many other people will as well, and we'll see events in history that correspond. Does that make any sense? Uh, I, I think uh, if it doesn't, then it's my fault. But uh, scripturally, it should make sense. Um, now, if we look at Isaiah 40, verses 3 through 5, what the, the Isaiah is doing is he's offering some comfort to God's people. God's people understand historically, as you read through Isaiah, have just been through this crisis with Assyria. But, but prophetically, the people are going into a captivity in Babylon that will rip them away from their homes, that will rip them away from their land, that will rip them away from everything that they have, a time where babies are destroyed and dashed against the rocks and pregnant women's bellies are ripped open and the children pulled out in front of everybody. Uh, I mean, a time of horror that is unspeakable. That's what the people of Israel have to look forward to. And this is coming not because God's a mean ogre. This is coming because the people's sin will lead inexorably to this result. We must always remember that God's punishment, God's wrath, if you will, is not because God's just really mean. It's because the way God has set up the world system, if you follow God, you walk in His will. If you rebel against God, there are consequences to the rebellion. If you put your hand in fire, you will get burned. And that's not God's fault. That's the way the world works. That's the system that has been set here in place. It is the system of sin that we brought into the world through Adam and Eve. And so God is saying, Israel, the course you are choosing, the life you are leading is one that's going to lead into captivity. I will bring Babylon down. However, through my mercy, after the time of captivity has passed, I will bring my people back. And in the midst of the harshness and the discipline and the pain and the suffering, God promises comfort. And I want us to look then at this Isaiah 40 uh, passage and uh, um, look at, at what it gives to us here. Isaiah 40, verse 3. Well, let's, let's start actually with 40 itself at the start of the chapter says, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed. Her sin has been paid for. She has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. And then there are three voices of comfort here in this passage. Here's the first one from verse 3. A voice of one calling in the wilderness or calling in the desert. Prepare the way for the Lord. Now we got all capitals there. What does that mean? Yes, Yahweh. Okay. Prepare the way for Yahweh. Make straight in the wilderness a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up. Every mountain and hill. This way. Every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain, and the glory of the Lord, again, Yahweh, will be revealed, and all mankind together will see it, for the mouth of Yahweh has spoken. Um, this is an incredible passage of Scripture. Does it ring any bells with any of you who haven't already read the lesson and cheated? 
Because these passages are quoted in the New Testament. See, there was one who came whose name was John. And he went in the wilderness. And he called out people from Jerusalem to come out to him. And the people were amazed at John. Because John was getting a real following. And John seemed to be converting lots of people's hearts back to the Lord. And some people even came to John and they said, Are you Elijah? Are you the prophet? And do you know who John said he was? John said this is who he was. John said, I'm the voice of one crying in the wilderness. If you look at him, you look at the passage in... uh, For example, Mark, just because I I flipped there. Mark chapter 1, verse 3. It says, It is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. Quote, A voice of one calling in the desert, Prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. Look at John 1.23. John 1.23. Well, we start back up here. They asked John. They said, um, who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, nope. Are you the prophet? Uh Uh-uh. Finally, they said, well, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I'm the voice of one calling in the desert. Make straight the way for the Lord. Now, let's look back at this passage for a moment. This is a voice of comfort that God is giving to his people who are suffering the agony for their sin. The comfort for God's people who have been suffering the agony for their sin is a voice crying in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, with the promise, a very special promise. Go back to the Isaiah passage. The promise is, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all mankind together will see it. The glory, the kavod of the Lord Um, shall be revealed. All mankind shall see it together. These are not just loosey-goosey words being thrown around by Isaiah. These are not loosey-goosey words being thrown around by John the Baptist. Do you remember Exodus chapter 33? Moses is on Mount Sinai about to get the tablets and he's conversing with the Lord. And Moses basically says, Lord, I would like to see your glory. And the Lord says, no man can see my face and live. I'm going to put you in the cleft of the rock and I'm going to cover you with my hand and I'm going to cause my glory to pass by. And then I'll move my hand and you can see, in in essence, the, the fading glory into the distance. Because no man can behold the glory of God and live. Now, What we have a promise of, though, here, is that the glory of God is going to be revealed. The word revealed here is uh, from from the Hebrew, it's nigla, which is a nithel form. It's from a Hebrew word, galah. All the Hebrew words, by and large, come from three basic letters. This is a G and an L and an H. You can remember that because there's a famous name that comes from these words in the Old Testament. Goliath, the giant. It was an appropriate name for such a big boy. He was revealed. I mean, you couldn't hide him, okay? Um, uh, Nigla is the word here from gala, the Hebrew word, and and it's basically an uncovering, a wide open. I mean, it's hiding a giant. Nobody's going to hide it. It's wide open. It's big. And the promise out of Isaiah is this. You who are suffering in misery as a people, understand There's going to be a voice crying in the wilderness, preparing the way for the Lord, and the glory of the Lord's going to be revealed, and all flesh is going to see it together. And the glory of the Lord that was revealed, John tells us in John chapter 1, is Jesus Christ. 
and while Moses could not see the glory of God, the Messiah would come and all flesh, and the Hebrew word there for flesh is, is actually every creature. It's not just every human. All flesh. It's there. It's not a secret. This was not a, a secret revelation that happened to a man on a mountain in New York where an angel appeared and translated tablets with him that were then taken away, and we all have to trust him. This was a revealing to all flesh and all people. Coming into this world would be God's glory. Now, understand in this passage what that means. And then um, Joel's going to sing it for us. The comfort to Israel when they were being punished for their sin... Whoops, let's go back here. The comfort for Israel when they were being published, punished for their sin and their wickedness was to come from Messiah. Um, we did the John the Baptist stuff. Glory of the Lord shall be revealed out of uh, Exodus. Um, ooh, not good. Okay, he's going to sing this. When he sings this song, he's got some Hebrew. He sings it in Hebrew as well as uh, in English. And so I've put the Hebrew up here for you to look at. Um, I just can't get here or there. How's that? Now the bottom will probably be off, but... Varu kol basar yakdav, and all flesh shall see it together. Kipi Adonai, Adonai is what a, a good Jew will say instead of Yahweh. Um, it keeps lightning from striking. Kipi Adonai di bear, which means for the mouth. Ki uh, uh, is for uh, the mouth of Yahweh, the Lord, has spoken it. Now, you want to know if it's true? God said it. And that settles it. That's kind of the prophetic word here. It's kind of, this is what God said. You can go to the bank on it. Vanigla kavud Adonai means vanigla is and revealed. That's your G-L-H for revealed. The glory of the Yahweh, the Lord, will be revealed. And then he'll also say somewhere in this song, something, if I can get this. Oh, basically he goes back up and says that stuff again, I think. So... Um, I will shut up. Now, the problem is, after he sings, y'all are not going to want me to talk anymore. So, <laughs> tough. He's got another song, but I get to say something ahead of time. Joel, please come on up. <laughs> well, thank you all very much. Appreciate you showing those pictures. Never do that again, okay? All right. Back in the early 70s, was kind of a child, child prodigy. That, that was actually me at the age of seven. But um, it was... Um, anyway, Mark set this passage up beautifully. This is a bit of Hebrew and English. If you know the um, Hebrew, just feel free to join right in with me. Vrau kol basar yakdav kipi adonai adonai kipi adonai di Benigla kevoda dunai, benigla kevoda dunai. Vurau kol basar yachdav, vurau kol basar yachdav. Kipi adunai, kipi adunai dibe. Benigla kevoda dunai, benigla kevoda dunai. Vurau kol basar yachdav. Every valley shall be exalted, every mountain and a humid low. For the crooked we shall be made straight, and the rough places plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, our flesh shall see it together. 
for the mouth of the Lord has spoken has spoken na 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 Vanigla kevoda tonight Vanigla kevoda tonight Vrau kul basar yachtav Vrau kul basar yachtav Kipi yadunai, kipi yadunai tibay Every valley shall be exalted Every mountain and a human law For the crooked way shall be made straight and the rough place is plain And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed Our flesh shall see it together For the mouth of the Lord has spoken it Has spoken it na 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 Benigla, Kivoda, Thank you, my brother. Thank you. Yeah, okay, now stop it. I knew that was going to happen. Okay, here's the bottom line. This goes to Israel. This goes beyond Israel, too. There is a judgment and consequence to your sin and to my sin and to our nation's sins and to, to God's people's sins, and there's no way around that. But we need to understand and be prepared for the fact that there is also comfort from our God because while he is a God of justice, he is a God of mercy. And this comfort will come only from one place in Messiah. And all of the misery you've got from all of the sin that you've had in your life, you can turn to the Lord and you can still have the consequences of your sin. Um, you, know, you get disease that, that's not going to leave you. You get busted families that aren't going to change. There are lots of consequences to your sin. But regardless of what you've been through, there is comfort in Messiah. And we know that because the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. God's glory itself is revealed to us in Jesus Christ. And God's glory shines brighter than any sin and any consequence. And that is to be comfort to God's people. Okay? Bottom line. Next passage. Isaiah 54. Isaiah 54 we're going to look at briefly. Um, <clears throat> let's focus on the first ten verses. And uh, I'll plop them up here real quick. Um, I'm going to do a little uh, quicker here. Sing, O barren woman, you who never bore a child. Burst into song, shout for joy, you who were never in layer, because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband, says the Lord. Enlarge the place of your tent. Stretch your tent curtains wide. Don't hold back, man. Make those cords long. Strengthen your stakes. It's about to start busting at the seams. You're spreading out to the right, to the left. Your descendants are going to dispossess nations. They're going to settle in their desolate cities. They're going everywhere. So do not be afraid. You will not suffer shame. Do not fear disgrace. You will not be humiliated. You'll forget the shame of your youth. Remember no more the reproach of your widowhood. Why? Because your maker is your husband. Yahweh Almighty is his name. The Holy One of Israel is your redeemer. He, he is called the God of all the earth. The Lord will call you back as if you were a wife deserted and distressed in your spirit. A wife who married young only to be rejected, says your God. 
for a brief, brief moment, I abandoned you. But with deep compassion, I will bring you back. In a surge of anger, I hid my face from you for a moment. But with everlasting kindness, chesed, I will have compassion on you, says the Lord your Redeemer. Though the mountains be shaken, the hills removed, my unfailing love for you will not be shaken. This passage has a theme that the Bible has of God's chesed. It's a special Hebrew word, a covenantal kindness. Um, God, uh, God is faithful when we're not. God keeps covenant when we don't. God reaches for us when we turn away. When we are not as close to God as we used to be, it's never because God moved. God's desire and heart is for His people, but His people have a wandering spirit and a rebellious heart and nature. And um, um, it, whether you are Israel or whether you are Gentile, whatever you may be, uh, that, that's what it is. The levels of application, Paul takes this in Galatians 4 and uses what's a really very rabbinical argument for the time out of this passage of Scripture. You read Galatians chapter 4, you're going to scratch your head and say, what on earth is Paul talking about? And now I don't even understand what Isaiah meant. Um, I've tried to explain it in the outline some. I'm not going to take time to do it right now. Let me suffice it to say this. Paul's making the point when Paul quotes this passage in, in Galatians 4, Paul's making the point that uh, the barrenness um, ultimately, the barrenness that, that's going to explode into to children has happened biblically in many ways. One of the ways was with Abraham himself. Sarah was barren. And so Abraham goes to Hagar for a child and uh, uh, has Ishmael. But Sarah herself, the barren one, wound up exploding with children because that's the very nation of Israel. Sarah, Paul says, was the wife uh, and the, 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 of promise. Those children didn't come really from Abraham in a sense. They didn't come from Sarah. That's just the blessing of the Lord upon them. And that's why the tent has to be expanded, Paul says. Paul then goes on to say, do you understand Christians? That's who you are. That you are the children of promise as opposed to just the children of birth. The only reason we are part of God's covenant people is because God has made us that way through Jesus Christ. We've been grafted onto the vine. We didn't grow there naturally. We're not Jewish by birth. We're Christian, Jewish, if you will, by faith. Okay? So we get grafted in where, where, where the vine already was. And so Paul says that's why there's going to be an explosion of you. There are going to be so many of you. So this has application, but if you read Isaiah 54, you see even beyond what Paul says, it's got application even greater to the nation of Israel itself. And this is one of those things that kind of like a spring, an underground water, it bubbles up. And Paul's able to say, see, that gets expression in the church because the church is the children of God by faith and it's going to be huge and God will, will bring to all people. But it keeps going because it also applies, as Isaiah 54 makes clear, to the nation of Israel itself. I mean, what other country could be non-existent for a few thousand years and the people still be identifiable and get the country back. And God's still working in Israel. We are seeing a time where God's moving in this country in awesome ways because God's word will not pass away. It bubbles up, it bubbles up, but it finds its full fruition. So Joel has a song that Joel's done off of this. And, oh, I, I forgot one level. This bubbles up in your life and my life as well. It doesn't just bubble up in the church. It doesn't just bubble up in the nation of Israel. It bubbles up everywhere. When you feel barren and you feel hopeless and you feel like your life is gone and you don't have your offspring, not just physically children, whatever, there is a theme here, a prophetic theme that says God will reach into your life and give you greater fullness than you could ever imagine. And you just need to get yourself ready and look for the Lord because what the Lord can do in your life your tent is not prepared to handle. And that's the promise. So you hold on to the Lord and you watch what He does. It may take 
2,000 years, probably not in your life, but uh, uh, God's promise is faithful. It's as faithful as Jesus Christ himself. So with that, I give you, um, I did not retype these words, they're all in English, but I'm going to put them up here for Joel. And Joel, you come on up and sing, uh, uh, here it is, out of Isaiah 54. Let me... This is a passage of uh, great intimacy. Um, the Lord speaking to our, our people, the Jewish people, and comforting us that though, that, that though we, we have received double in punishment and that we have been punished for our sins, yet in the latter days He will come back to us with great compassion and uh, bless us and draw us back and raise up the dry bones of Israel once again. And uh, the Lord is doing that right now, right, right during these days, as God is pouring out His Spirit upon the dry bones, bringing us great compassion and great mercy. And if God is faithful to us, He will be faithful to you. And if we can trust, trust God to be faithful after all these years, you can trust Him too. Sing, O barren one, come and sing a joyful song for the sheep blush of your youth shall be not remembered more. Sing, O barren one, I will prosper you again, for your children will grow and Established in righteousness For a brief, brief moment Did I turn away from you, from you Now in great loving kindness Will I come and gather you mountain and hill should move, my loving kindness will never depart from you, for a brief, brief moment did I turn away from you, from you. Now in great loving kindness Will I come and gather you For a brief, brief moment Did I turn away from you, from you Now in great loving kindness Will I come and gather you? Thank you, Joe. Um, and that's the promise. Promise that bubbles up in Israel, it's a promise that bubbles up in the church, and it's the promise that bubbles up for us. So when you feel barren and you feel hopeless, look to the source. 
of your joy. Okay? Points for home, and then we're going to close. I've asked Joel, uh, <laughs> told him just to get these two songs ready, and then as we were doing a sound check this morning, I said, you know, I'll just get one more ready here real quick. And uh, uh, he said, well, thanks for the warning. I said, well, actually, I'd like one in particular. Joel's brought some of his CDs for sale back there. Um, I'm holding one that's the Lamb Trilogy, which has got these two songs he just sung on it. Um, in addition to that, he's got a new one, the one that we found when we were in Germany uh, last uh, uh, June or July. And it's got a song on it, The Sacrifice Lamb. And he's uh, got a track that accompanies his guitar that uh, we'll play and I'll, we'll close with him singing that song for us and then we'll be dismissed after that song. But uh, uh, that gives you a flavor so that when you go out there to look for the CDs, you've got a clue as to which one is which. Um, points for home. Uh, first of all, he's got CDs out there. Buy them. <laughs> Second of all, uh, sin brings pain and destruction. It does. Oh, it might feel real good. It might be a nice outlet. It might be your training. It might be your release, but it brings pain and destruction. That's why God doesn't want us to be sinful, because he cares for our good. Jesus brings healing and change. He brings it to the nation of Israel. He brings it to the United States. He brings it to Champion Forest Baptist Church, but he brings it to you and me individually. God says so. Because the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. This is not Lanier up here telling you about it. This is what God himself has said. That's something you can go to the bank on. So the last song I've asked Joel to sing is the song, The Sacrifice Lamb. I'll let him explain it. Uh, he's got time to sing it, and then uh, uh, we are dismissed after that. Thank you. This is actually one of the very first modern-day messianic songs written, recorded back in 1970. I actually wrote this song at the age of three. I was, um, but uh, messianic music really didn't even exist in the 50s and 60s. But as God began to touch our Jewish people back in the days of the Jesus people, revival, tens of thousands of our Jewish people came into the kingdom and music began to flow. And I began to actually write what I would call messianic, taking the ancient Jewish feel, the modern pop, pop feel. And uh, we actually recorded the first album in 72. It came out in 73. And it went right to the top of the charts, must, much to our shock. Uh, there was actually Hebrew in it. We didn't uh, know if anybody cared. But they, but they actually did. And this particular song is the Jewish gospel in a little song form. And it's called The Sacrifice Lamb. Anybody here know that song? Both of you do. Thank you very much. Um, <laughs> but anyway, if you'll start that up, this is called The Sacrifice Lamb. Can bring that up. Says in his word to cleanse everyone, atonement he made, iniquity that we can find life. With him evermore The sacrifice lamb Has been slain His blood on the altar To rust it To wipe away Guilt and pain To bring hope Salvation has come to the world 
God's only son to the world. Jesus the one for the world. Yeshua is Prophets of old speak much of Messiah. His death is foretold. The purpose is clear. Isaiah did say. Was for an atonement to give us a way that leads not to death. The sacrifice lamb has been slain, his blood on. To wipe away and to bring home will be Salvation has come to the world, God's own soul to the world, Jesus the one. For the world, Yeshua is So, brothers of mine, look not to yourself. For we are but one We all need His help We've broken the law But He paid our debt That we can find God bless you. Thank you, Joel. I'm going to give Joel a minute to... Um, Give Joel a chance to get out there to the table before y'all uh, clog the aisle up um, uh, so he can greet you back there, but he's got to get back there to sell CDs. So um, thank you all. Have a good week.